You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. Before we go any further, I'm just going to pray, and then, and then we'll, we'll go into it. Heavenly Father, we're, we're so grateful for your grace. We're so grateful, Lord, for the cross, uh, for our salvation, that we can come before you, uh, covered in Jesus' righteousness, Lord God, and that we can, that we can uh, know you and be in relationship with you, Lord God, that, that we can read your word, Lord God, and I pray that you would just open it up for us and, and reveal uh, your truth to us this morning, Lord, that it would change us and, and um, yeah, make us into the people that you've called us to be, Lord. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So for those of you whom I haven't met yet, I haven't said this yet, my name is Greg, one of the pastors here at the gate. And um, since we're on the subject of me, I'm going to talk about me um, a little bit more. So like a lot of us here this morning, oh, that sounds better, hey? Uh, Like a lot of us here this morning, I'm an introvert. I am an introvert. Uh, An introvert implies many things. Some of you are judging me right now, like, introvert. Um... Yeah. It implies many things. Uh, one of the main things it implies is that I like being by myself rather than socializing with people. Uh, I'm not shy. That's different. Shyness is often a side effect of being an introvert due to having less practice uh, in social interaction. Right? Uh, so, so a lot of introverts are shy. Uh, but the two things are not always synonymous together. Anyways, I'm an introvert, so I like being by myself because when, when I am... I feel like I'm being rejuvenated when I'm by myself. I also feel comfortable when I'm by myself, uh, especially in my own thoughts. Uh, conversely, when I'm in a large group, I find it can be exhausting. Uh, and and um, sometimes I can actually feel like I'm more alone when I'm in a big group rather than when I'm by myself. Right? Um, every introvert knows that feeling. Um, in other words, I'm the type of person who wrestles with going to, a, to an event or, or going to a social gathering versus staying at home and just reading a book all by myself. I wrestle with that. Um, so how am I a pastor then, you ask? Uh, how do I talk to new people every Sunday? You know, how do I host Bible studies, Bible groups, right? How, how, how do I stand up in front of a group of people every week and, and talk to all of you? Well, primarily by the grace and strength of God, number one, um, eight years ago, if you knew me, you never would have guessed I'd be standing here talking in front of a group of people um, or even shaking a new person's hand on a Sunday morning. Um, so God's done a lot in me, which is awesome. Uh, also, long Sunday afternoon naps are part of the process. Uh, after church, I'm exhausted. Um, but while being by myself, you know, being an introvert, being by myself has a lot of advantages. Uh, in fact, even, even Jesus escaped daily, right? To be by himself in order to, to, to uh, pray and escape from the crowds, right? And we all need to do that sometimes, introvert or extrovert. We all need to escape and be by, by ourselves. Introverts just need to do it more often. Um, but I've discovered as well that I actually really do need community. I need community. I found that, that deciding to, to stay at home by myself all the time is actually incredibly unhealthy, Right? Because like all of us, I, I need interaction. I need relationships. And so I've learned to force myself to leave my comfort zone, not make excuses to stay at home, 
leave my comfort zone and get to know people and, in, and invest in people. And this is also important so that, so that I can be there to help them if they need, so that I know them and I know when they need help and then vice versa, right? People will know me and, and can help me and encourage me. And besides, there's obviously many things that I enjoy doing or, or am required to do or have been called by God to do that I just, that I just can't do by myself anyways, right? Like um, playing soccer, for example. I love playing soccer. I can't do that by myself, right? I need to get out of my comfort zone. I need a team to play on. I need teammates, and I need a team to play against, right? I need to be in groups. I need to get out there, right? Or, or being married, obvious one. I can't marry myself, right? Um, or lifting a couch. You know, if I'm moving and I need help lifting a couch, right, I can't do that by myself. Maybe there's people in this room that could. I'm looking at you, Cam, right? Um, but definitely not me, right? I need help. I need people that are willing to help me lift that couch, right? Or playing board games. I love playing board games. I take them very seriously. Anyone who's played a board game with me knows I, I take them very seriously, and I usually win. Um, <laughs> but I currently have a board game that's sitting on my shelf since Christmas. I got it for Christmas, and I haven't had a chance to play it yet because I, you know, I haven't had a, a chance to have friends over yet to, to learn it and play it. So we need people in our lives, right? We need relationships. We need interaction. But one of the things I've discovered that I absolutely cannot do on my own is live this Christian life that I've been called to live. I cannot do that on my own. I especially realized this when I first started ministry, and even more so when when I became the lead pastor here all of a sudden. Uh, At that time... I admit, when, when I became lead pastor at that time, I admit, I felt, I felt alone. I felt really anxious. Like all of a sudden, I'd inherited this, this, this big, giant weight on my shoulders. Like I felt like I had to carry the church and everyone's faith and everyone's struggles and everyone's doubts and, and the pressure to grow this church all on my back, all by myself. And I was overwhelmed by that. I didn't sleep very well for, for weeks. But I was wrong. Even so, the longer I'm in ministry and the more I get to know you all, I've actually become more and more willing to carry that burden if I have to, rather than give in to my introvert tendencies to go downstairs and hide in the boiler room in a fetal position and tell you I'll leave. I've never, I've never done that, but I've felt like doing it sometimes. But seriously, I care, I care deeply about you all. I care deeply about this church and what, what God's doing in this church. And so I'm more than willing to carry that burden if I have to, all by myself. But here's what God's showing me and is, is, and is teaching me. Still, I don't have to do it all by myself. What I mean is, that as I've seen all of you investing in each other and investing in this church over the years, I've come to realize that more and more that, that I'm not alone in this, right? It's not, it's not all about me. I've discovered with much joy and relief that, that I don't have to and I'm not meant to carry the church all by myself, nor am I supposed to just share the burden with, with Pastor Blair, right? But instead, we all do it. We all do it, right? We, we all carry each other. By God's grace, we're, we're in this together as a community, 
And it's not easy to admit those sometimes, because sometimes I want to do everything by myself, right? But the truth is that I need, that I need each and every one of you to accomplish this calling that God's given me. I need each and every one of you. But it's not just me. All Christians, at whatever calling they have, whatever, whatever place they're in, truly and deeply need support from other Christians. We need each other. We need each other. In fact, we actually exist and we're designed by God to work together and depend on each other in community. That's his design. Even from the beginning, right? As God looked at Adam and he said, oh, it's not right that man should be alone. So he created woman to be in fellowship with man. This isn't just about marriage, right? This is, this is about the truth that we're not meant to be alone in our fellowship with God, right? It's, just, it's not just me and God. It's us and God. And actually, a big reason for that is because God himself exists in community. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Three persons in one, which is exactly who we imitate and who we're meant to reflect and glorify when we're in a loving community together especially as the body of Christ, as the church. Right? John 16 shows us that, that Jesus even prayed that that would be restored, that that community would be restored. He prays that, that we, the church, right, would be one as he and the Father are one. That's one of the things Jesus prays he'll accomplish at the cross. So being one, it's important. It's God's will. It's God's design. Sin corrupted that design but the cross restores it. In other words, community, or rather communing together in unity, isn't an option for Christians. It's part of our DNA. It's who we are. We don't, we don't function properly without it. Which means to resist this part of who we are you know, to stubbornly or bitterly go off on our own or, or to give in to our introverted tendencies and choose to stay at home all the time rather than invest in each other and, and, and build relationships. To not make community a priority is really to resist God's will and design for his people, which Jesus defeated sin and death to restore. And again, don't get me wrong, I realize that, 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 that sometimes we need a night off for ourselves, right? Like I said, it's good to, be, good to be by ourselves sometimes, especially if you're an introvert. You need to be alone. That's, that's part of who we are. And I'm also not saying that, that you're not saved if, if you go it alone all the time. But the bottom line here is that our salvation isn't meant to be lived out for ourselves or just by ourselves, but rather we're saved into the kingdom or the flock or the priesthood or the body or the new temple, the church, the family of God, whatever you want to call it. You see the theme there. Pretty much every name for Christians has to do with being together. We're each of us a unique brick among many unique bricks that make up the one house being built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. 
And we're filled with the Spirit to bond us together in that unity. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 13 says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. We're made to be one. Which means we're not alone in this. Which means we're part of something bigger. And this is good news for us. This is very good news for us. Let's let's think about it. As we've been going through 1 Peter, right? It's been challenging, right? We've been talking about how we're we're to live and respond to the unchristian world around us in, in in a way that glorifies God, right? That reflects Christ, that is, with an attitude of submission, of love and humility, right? Even to those uh, in, in authority, even to those who, who abuse their authority, even to those people we disagree with, right? Whether it's government, our bosses, or our spouses, or our neighbors, right? That's what we're called to do. That's how we're called to live. And then in the coming weeks, we're going to be talking about really happy, happy stuff. We're going to be talking about suffering as Christians in the world. It's going to be awesome. It's actually going to be really good. Um, but it's not a happy topic, right? Uh, enduring persecution for our faith and, and rejoicing through it and all that kind of stuff. That's what we're going to be talking about. So all these topics, about how we're called to live in the world and how we're called to, 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 and how the world's going to react to us. Does all that sound pretty easy to, to pull off? It's like, yeah, I can jump in and do that, no problem. No, living as a Christian in the world while full of purpose and blessing and joy can also be very difficult, very challenging, and can be very costly. That's an understatement. Which is why the question that keeps coming up in my mind and that God keeps reminding me to ask myself is, am I actually strong enough or bold enough to live this countercultural, countercultural life on my own, right, without any help, without anyone supporting me and encouraging me through it? And it's my pride, though, which relentlessly fights tooth and nail against admitting that which I know deep down inside, that the answer to this question is really no. On my own, I'm unable. On my own, I'm not strong enough. A cat poster or maybe uh, an inspirational meme from a fluffy mega pastor circulating on Facebook would tell me I am. But I'm not. I'm reminded of that daily. I'm not. And that's okay. No one is. No one can successfully or perfectly live the Christian life in this world on their own. Not because we're lazy, not because we're terrible people, not because we lack faith, but primarily because we're not designed to. We're not meant to. But you might argue there's that one Bible verse that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So like, I don't need anybody else. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, first of all, that verse is correct. But let's talk about that verse. 
Of course, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But first of all, that verse actually acknowledges that we can't do it on our own, right? That we need Jesus to strengthen us, that we're weak. We need Jesus to strengthen us in order to to live this life. And secondly, that verse is specifically about persevering through difficult times, right? So with that knowledge, finally, in what ways does Christ strengthen us through difficult times, through hardships, especially ones that are caused by believing in his name? Well, there's many ways, right? His, His joy is our strength, fills us with his spirit, right? He comforts us. We have his word, right? There's many ways that, that, that he strengthens us. But one of the primary ways that he strengthens us is by placing us amongst other believers to lift us up, to encourage us, to continually point us towards our great comforter and living hope. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing and in context, that's not like a fluffy sense, like you can do it, but it's encouraging one another in your faith, pointing them towards Christ and in their callings. Because let's get real. Some burdens and feelings of despair that we go through are just too great to bear for just one person. Some mistakes and sins are, are too deep to dig our own selves out of are too blinding for us to even recognize in our own selves. Some circumstances and temptations are too great to resist or tackle in our own strength. And some steps of faith that we're called into seem too big without proper support and encouragement and people cheering us on. Right? The Christian life, when truly pursued and lived out unconditionally, Right? In pure worship and glory to God, it's not an easy life or arguably even possible without others living it alongside of us. What I'm saying is God puts us in each other's lives for a purpose, not just for camaraderie, but to lift each other up, to encourage each other, to support each other. Right? Even the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, Even he depended on on his colleagues and Christian brothers and sisters to write him and and update him and and visit him while he was in prison. And then even while he was in prison, he wrote about wanting to visit them and and see them again, right? He longed for community. And also he writes how he finds joy and strength and the strength of God through community. We're not meant to be alone. We're not meant to be alone. We need each other. And again, this is a good thing. It's like if, if someone told me that I had to build a house, like, you have to build this house or some sort of consequence. I'd be like, there's, there's no way. There's no way I can build a house. Why can't I build a house? Because I only know how to put up drywall and use a drill, and sometimes I can use a hammer. Uh, that's the extent of my, my, my skill set. And so if, if I was staring at you know, the plot of land, I'd be like, there's no way. Right, But then upon turning around to quit and walk away from this, this house, this task that I've been called to, I see 50 other workers standing there, all with different skill sets and tools, ready to help me out. Right, Electricians, plumbers, framers, finishers, engineers, all that kind of stuff. They're all waiting to help me out. That house will get built. 
And just like that, as Christians, we need each other's gifts and callings and personalities and support in order to live this Christian life, in order to build this house. And the amazing reality is that because of the spirit within us is that we have each other. We're unified together. And this is most likely why the Apostle Peter, basically right in the middle of talking about living in submission to the world and suffering for Christ in the world, right in the middle of that, he writes this one verse. This one verse. Because he's reminding us as Christians that we're not alone in this high and costly calling and that we're not meant to be. 1 Peter 3, verse 8. Finally, we're getting into 1 Peter. 1 Peter 3, verse 8 says, Finally, all of you, all Christians, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. So, obviously, when he writes the word finally there, it means it's his last point following a list of other points, right? So, in other words, he's saying that as you live in the world for Christians, as Christians for the glory of Christ, remember to lean on and support one another through it. To be gentle with one another. In contrast to that, I just want to point out that he doesn't say to look down on each other. He doesn't say to punish each other or to condemn each other, or to ostracize each other for the times that when we fail or mess up. Right? Peter doesn't write that because as Christians, we'll we'll get enough hardship, we'll get enough challenges, we'll get enough abuse in the world. So we definitely don't need more of that from our fellow peers in Christ. Besides, who's going to confess their sins to one another if they know they're going to get negative feedback? Right? That's just encouraging people to hide their issues if we have that kind of attitude towards them. But guess what? If they are confessing their sin and asking for help, that means the Holy Spirit has already brought them to that place of conviction. Right? So we, we don't need to add on to that anyways. That's the Holy Spirit's job, bring conviction. Following Christ's example here, right? a repentance and a cry for help should always be followed by grace and mercy. We need to remember that as the church. In other words, as the body of Christ, we're to have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender hearts, and humble minds. Right? God's working in us and calling us to stand by and serve each other and love each other, to walk with each other, pick one another up from our failures and weaknesses as we live this new life and as we, as we mature in it and grow in it. And while most of these, these attitudes that we're called to have, I think, are pretty self-explanatory, I just want to quickly re- review them before we go any further, just to make sure we're on the same page. And so there's, there's five attitudes that, that Peter's calling us to have amongst each other. So number one, unity of mind. Unity of mind. Well, this obviously means we're to share the same ideas, the same goals. As Christians, we should know that that's making disciples, that's that's 
continually maturing as the body of Christ, as bringing glory to God as a church, right? That's, that's our, our, our goals as Christians. And so we should be unified in that. Um, number two, sympathy. Right? That means feeling sorry or concerned for another per- person, right? G- when we look at the ministry of Jesus, we see that Jesus, Jesus often felt sympathy for the crowds that he was speaking to, for the sick, also for the sinners that he dealt with, right? He never condemned sinners, but he always had sympathy for them, which usually caused a deep desire in, in him to, to, to help them. Number three, brotherly love. This simply means to, that we're supposed to love each other, love other Christians is what that means. Uh, and Christ-like love, of course, is sacrificial and unconditional. Number four, tender heart. This means that we're to be caring and compassionate with one another in our actions, but also in our thoughts and emotions towards each other too. And finally, number five, a humble mind. Humble mind. Basically, this refers to thinking of others as more significant than ourselves. Right? When, when, all we ha- when, when all we need, when we have all we need in Christ, right? when we're satisfied in Christ, we can be secure enough and satisfied enough to, to lay down our personal desires and instead seek the success of others, right? to wash each other's feet just as Jesus washed the disciples' feet. That's having a humble mind. Not in it for yourself. You're in it for each other. So that's how we're called to love and support one another, right? Because we need that type of love. We need that type of support as we live this Christian life. And generally speaking, though, I I think that even though we need each other like that and are called to support each other like that, it's strange that, that I think we often fail to ask for help, right? Or on the flip side, we often miss taking advantages of, of opportunities to, to give help. For example, instead of leaning on each other and confessing our sins and, and fears and, and doubts to one another, sometimes we tend to hide them. We tend to hide our sin and struggles and we, and we keep them to ourselves. And then we show up to church on a Sunday morning and we're like, everything's fine. You know, we pretend everything's good. Like, how are you this morning? Oh, great. Nothing's wrong at all. I'm doing good. And we, we hide that. We put on a show. Whether it's for fear of being judged or, or, or punished. Or that we're embarrassed. Or whether we have an attitude, we think, well, no one's going to help me. No one's going to do anything about it anyway, so I'm not going to tell anybody. Whatever it is, we often hide it. But as I've said, we're to, if we're to live this Christ-centered life, if we're to, we're to be successful in it, we need to be humble enough to lean on each other and, and be open with one another. Right? Trusting that our confessions and our brokenness in, in, in front of one another will lead to restoration and support. That's what the church is all about. And besides, no one can help us, no one, no one can sympathize with us if we don't actually express our need for help. That's common sense, right? And, and as I've been saying, we all need help anyways. We all need each other. We all need help. So you're not alone in needing help, if you think you are. We all need it. And believe me, you're not being annoying or putting anybody out if you ask. 
On that note, I'm sure all the, the independent, independent and strong-willed people in this room are like, no way, right? I don't like the sound of this. They don't want to hear that they can't do it all themselves. But it's the truth. It's unhealthy and unwise to go it alone, to avoid fellowship or to avoid asking for help. In the same vein as well, how often do we as Christians run away or kind of like, you know, slink away from from opportunities to to lift each other up and support each other right like when you hear someone struggling oh i'm struggling with this what do we what do we often do first with with good intentions we usually say oh i'll pray for you right which is definitely important we definitely should be praying for each other that's that's incredibly important and sometimes we even do it right but i think sometimes we say oh i'll pray for you more as like an exit strategy so that we don't have to do more or sacrifice anything. But as James writes in, in, in chapter 2, verses 15 to 16, he says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without actually giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Right? Brotherly love, sympathy, having a tender heart, counting others as more significant than ourselves. All of these are not just spiritual or mental doctrines that we should know or think. I don't know, I really feel sorry for that guy. I'm going to pray for him. Right? But we also need to help them out. Right? These are also intended to be practically and verbally lived out. Right? So when someone confesses their sin or need to you, first of all, remember, don't judge them. Be tender-hearted and sympathetic with them because that could easily be you in their shoes. Second, realize that you've just been presented with an opportunity as well as an expectation to help them and encourage them in their faith. And you can be sure that if they're coming to you, then God's prepared you for that moment. God wants to work in you in that moment for their edification. So pray for them. Yes, absolutely. But also, if needed, make them a meal. Buy them groceries. Invite them for coffee. Listen to them. Show them you care. Hug them. Encourage them. Be honest with them in your advice. Read the Bible with them. Remind them of the gospel. Right? Whatever the situation requires, no matter the cost to you, Whatever will point them to Christ, whatever will help them in overcoming their, their struggle and succeed in taking that next step of faith. In some select cases, though, I understand it might be an opportunity to bring them to the pastor or to, or to an elder. If it's beyond your ability to help them or if counseling maybe is required, that's totally wise, totally makes sense. But in most cases, when someone leans on you with their problems with their struggles. That means they obviously trust you and have a relationship with you. And therefore, it's it's an opportunity for you to do what Peter's calling all Christians to do. Right? So what I'm trying to say is, please don't automatically default everyone's burden onto me just because I'm the pastor. I'm not trying to get out of my job or out of of any work or anything. Um, I'm here for you as your pastor 24-7, right? If you need me, I'm there. But I'm also not here to do your job. Right? I'm here to remind you and prepare you to do yours. Because again, this isn't just about one person. 
It's about all of us moving forward together. We need each other. And on that note, as I said before, I'll be the first to confess that I need support. Right? I, I, need, I covet your prayers. I need your encouragement in Christ. I need your fellowship. I need your participation in the church. Because I said at the beginning, even as a pastor, I can't, and I'm not designed to do it all on my own. No one is. Right? Too many pastors have quit. Too many Christians have left the church. Right? We've all seen that, right? Because either they or their peers don't get this. And they burn out because they tried to do it all themselves. Or they become overwhelmed because they had no one to turn to in a hard time. Or they feel left out because there wasn't any community. Or they felt left out because it was all clicky or something. But I believe that we're actually blessed here at the gate. Because I'd argue that this church gets it. Right? We're, we're not perfect. We have a lot of growing to do. But, but we do have a great and supportive community. And, and, that's, and it's amazing. And it's awesome to see what God's doing and, and the community that we have and the fellowship that we have. One of the reasons we have coffee break, right? We want to continue that. And, and so, so I hope that we can continue to grow in it so that no one, and I mean no one, is ever left standing or walking alone on their own. Because no one is meant to. Let's take a second to awkwardly look around the room at one another. Do it. Look at the person behind you. Look at the people beside you. Look at the people in front of you. Look at the people across the room. Everyone look at Sam, just for the heck of it. (laughs) All those people you just looked at, these people need you. Those people need you. They need your friendship. They need your support. They need your prayers. They need the gift that God's given you to serve them. They need you. And likewise, you need them. We need each other. We need each other. No matter where we're at in our faith or how mature we are, living out this countercultural Christian life in the world is hard. It's full of many challenges, steps of faith, temptations and struggles, and we need each other's support and edification to do it well. Let's both remember and seek to be there for each other, right? Let's, let, let's make it even more of a priority to build honest and open relationships so that we can trust and rely on each other. Let's, let's humble ourselves so that we can serve one another and build each other up just, just as Jesus did and is doing for us. The first five verses of Philippians 2 uh, underlines what we've been talking about this morning and then shows us that we, we have that capability because of Jesus Christ. And he also modeled for us uh, who we're called to be as well. So let me just read that for you this, and then, and then we're going to get into this. So Philippians 2, 1 to 11 says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, 
but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father.